0: Everybody, welcome back. Thanks for joining us again as we continue through 2 Timothy. We're into chapter 4. We pick up in verse 6 today. Um, M- Michael, I don't I don't if there is a sort of classic Paul passage in 2 Timothy, I I think you could make the case that today is it. Um, a very interesting change of direction. We we leave teaching for a moment. This turns very personal, um it turns very introspective. It, it, it's celebrative. I mean, there's celebration in it, but it, it's just a it's a really interesting passage and and this is not something that is typical of Paul's letters. There's not a section like this in every one of them. There's teaching, there's greetings, there's goodbyes. but this I think stands out as unusual. Um, though there are a couple who have something like it. But let me read it for you, then we can talk more about it. As for me, I'm already being poured out as a libation, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. From now on, there is reserved for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on that day, and not only to me but also to all who have longed for his appearing. Very interesting that we have Paul uh, essentially reflecting on the end of his life. Um, he seems convinced that his time is short. He he at some point is preparing the church. Remember that this will be read out loud, and he knows that. Uh, he's preparing the church for that event. But uh, you know, this is just a it's a very interesting moment where Paul, as an older man, looks at where he is and to some extent looks back on where he's been and speaks transitionally about that. And and I think these words are often quoted in Paul, and and I think they're profound. You know, I fought the good fight, finished the race, and I have kept the faith. And and in that we've we've admitted many times on this bible study there's mixed reviews on paul but i think in these words we see something that we can all aspire to if we reach the end of our days and we can say similar things in good conscience about ourselves then i would say that we are we have arrived at a good place and at a realistic place and i i think paul really gives us some things to think about here
1: so, we are nearing the end of the book, so that uh, is worth noting that we're we're coming here to some substantial concluding kinds of words. And I really want to turn your attention here because, once again, context matters. Uh, let's make sure that we all see what's going on here. Verse 5, he writes to Timothy, "...as for you..." Be sober, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, and carry out your ministry fully. We talked about those things yesterday. So if you missed that conversation, jump back and listen to that for sure. But now, verse 5, as for you, Timothy, now verse 6, where we're at today, as for me, I am already being poured out as a libation. This is maybe one of the best summaries of the letter. It's this intersection point where we see that Paul— is as a uh, wiser, more experienced apostle, offering counsel and wisdom to a younger apostle. As he comes to offer some concluding notes, we see that when he reflects on his own life, the very thing that he's calling Timothy to, he sees as the arc of his own life. he's, He's saying, I have done that enduring. I have seen the suffering. I have done the work of an evangelist, and now the time has come. I fought the good fight. I finished my race. And there is something deeply inspiring about those individuals. Uh, I'm sure all of us have had at least one of these people in our life who we could say we look at as finishing their own race. We look at them and we see in their life what maybe from our own vantage today might even look impossible, Clint. Like if you're young and you're going through some struggles, you might say, there's no way I get to where they are. And those individuals, those men and women of faith who have been faithful, who have continued on in the difficult process of submitting to Jesus Christ, to growing in the, the deeper fruit of the faith, when you see what that works over a lifetime and after years and years of service, I think that that does bring... A kind of special inspiration. And here I think Paul is using it rhetorically. He's using a beautiful uh, yeah, metaphor here, that idea of finishing the race. But this is not just a inspirational speech. I mean, when he talks about finishing the race, he means running this this long race we call the faith, this, this real and meaningful thing. And, and Paul is able to use that in a way that I, I think not only teaches Timothy, but if we're willing to hear, it teaches us.
0: One of the things that makes this passage so interesting, Michael, is I think it functions at a lot of layers. You know, as you pointed out, as for you, as for me, as he's calling a young servant into faithful leadership, he is then also saying, I'm about done. I, I'm moving out of the picture. And there's an element of passing the torch in that, maybe of, of sort of handing off the baton. Uh, I'm my time has come, my departure has come. I've fought the fight, I've finished the race, and there's reserved for me a crown of righteousness. You know, uh, th- there is a word to a young person there that is interesting. I think there is also an example to a young person, you know, as, as those as you and I as people who have the opportunity to be involved in various parts of people's lives, I reflect in my own ministry of how inspiring it has been to watch people face the end of their life with courage and faith. And that doesn't mean that it's easy. certainly doesn't mean that it's comfortable. But to see people whose end is at hand say things like, the, the Crown is reserved for me. I've fought a good fight. i've I've kept the faith. I'm ready to go. Uh, i There is something as a younger person, there there's something humbling. There's something amazing. There's something instructive in that. and And that's not earned in that moment. That's earned in the decades and decades that lead up to it. You know, nobody just gets there on their deathbed that that has long roots. and And I think that, Perhaps what Paul is doing is either purposefully or just by nature setting Timothy an example of what it means to have faith and confidence in the promise, not, not only from the standpoint of this gift of righteousness, but just the ability to say, my time may be done, and that's not, that's not a bad thing in my eyes.
1: There's some language here, Clint, that is interesting, too. Uh, the verse 8 language, um, reserved for me the crown of righteousness. Uh, that doesn't actually get used in the New Testament as often as you might think it does. There's a kind of popular uh, Christian kind of uh, vocabulary surrounding the idea of, you know, I like got an extra jewel in my crown, or I, I've heard these kinds of things being in the church for my whole life. The 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 language of what we get on the other side of eternity doesn't happen all that often in the scriptures. The scriptures tend to be far more interested in our present living out of the faith than they are what will be on the other side of, of being with God. What I find interesting about this crown is that it has been earned not in... All of the mountaintops, but rather in the things that we've named throughout this entire study—the recognizing the difficult moments when one has to stand up and say difficult words to those who are misleading the faithful, or the moments in which we affirm, "Hey, their suffering is part of the Christian life." We just read this week: persecution is a part of the deal, and that persecution uh, is, you know, in some ways more deeply, painfully found within the church family than it is outside of it. There's a, there's a a kind of richness to this perspective that is so easy to read and move beyond, to to just sort of pick up and to keep on reading. And we miss, Clint, that the crown, which we might initially think is this beautiful, positive thing, is in some ways like like the crown of thorns that Jesus wore. the, The crown, of course, it comes after a life of faithfulness, but to use your words, that wasn't earned at the end; it was earned the whole way. Mm-hmm. And and there's something full. I I'm struggling to find the words. There's something deeply human about the recognition that it's not just about working for a mansion on the other side. It's about living our lives in such a way that that crown is fitted over and over and over again. And that looks like the gifts we've talked about of grace, of forgiveness, of peace. You know, we we've named this many times in the study, but. As, as Paul uses his own life as a metaphor for the gospel, we see these themes that have come up before now interworked in, into his own being, his own faith. It's beautiful.
0: Yeah, I don't know if this is helpful, Michael, but throughout this letter and the first letter, if you've been with us, you might remember there have been these passing references to athletic events, you know, to physical training and to running a race. and And here we have it again, you know, I've... I've finished the race. I've kept the pledge, the the faith. And now there is reserve. What do the finishers of the race get? They get a crown. And what do they have to do to get it? They have to finish. They have to run the whole thing. They they can't pull off halfway. They have to persevere. They have to endure. They have to do exactly the things that Paul has told Timothy are a part of serving God the church and who gives it to them the the judge literally the one who judges the race in this case it is a righteous judge who gives a crown of righteousness on the day that you cross the finish line and and I, you know not everybody sees things through an athletic lens but i think that metaphor is helpful here and i think paul kind of very subtly wraps it into this last chapter as we move toward closing the letter. And he's done that. He's done that in other places. And I think here we kind of see where he's been going with it.
1: Uh, Notice uh, this is very much a preacher at work. You know, it's just something worth pointing out. Uh, Yes, there's a lot of I language here. That's a little uncharacteristic for Paul. We see it other places, but not incredibly often. But notice at the very end of verse eight here, not only me, but to all who have longed for his appearing. That is the move of a preacher. You're able to move instinctively from, this isn't about me, to whatever extent that was an illustration, this is about all of us. The longing, the desiring, the living in faithfulness, the, the seeking to move forward. Uh, there's, there's an inclusiveness to what Paul's saying here that we shouldn't miss. It's not in some ways him just trying to uh, point the finger Towards himself. This, this is truly and wholeheartedly intended to be a follow me as I follow Christ kind of encouragement. It's, hey, Timothy, keep on going. Leadership can be hard. Living in Christian community, it can be hard. But take each day, take each practice, take every step that you need to take, even through life's most difficult valleys. And when you do that, you're going to be longing for that day of appearing when you too will finish the race, when you too receive your crown that has been worked in, in the season. If anything, Clint, this is a call to us today, thousands of years removed, continuing to do the same work. Fundamentally, we're joining mm-hmm. our our hopes and our faith in the same direction that Paul was at this moment of writing, as he nears the end of his life. There's that's where scripture lifts off the page and becomes practical. It, it lives in our bones. It lives in our choices. We find it in what we say to one another. It, it's the very present hope that what God is doing is moving us towards that, that perfect day in which all of this is knit together.
0: I think there's a very interesting fork in the road, Michael. So essentially, Paul's saying, I, I'm confident when I finish my race, I'll receive the crown. I trust the righteous judge. And then, as you point out, he moves to, and not just me, we we will all, all the faithful, all those who finish their race, all those who fight the good fight, will get that on that day. And historically, maybe that day has been read to mean on the final day, the day, the day of Christ's return. But I think, given what Paul is saying here... It's not inappropriate to think of that we all have that day when our race finishes. Each of us has, at some point in our future, a last day, a finish line. And when we cross it, how do we do so? How do we finish our race? How do we close out those last rounds of the good fight? How is it that we move forward through our life, yes, in view of the Big day, but also with an eye on all of our last days and what it means for us as we are challenged to be able with Paul to say, "I know that on that day I receive a crown of righteousness, not because I'm righteous, but because the righteous Judge has given it to me." And you know, if I were if I were preaching this passage, Michael, I'd be really tempted to to land on that side of the fence versus the second coming day, which is important. But I think that I like the personal word. I like the personal challenge. And I think it's in keeping with what Paul's trying to do in this text.
1: Clint, I've always thought that Christian funerals are really Mm -hmm. interesting business because (laughs) in some ways when Christians show up to celebrate the life of one who has died – uh, we're trying to do, at, at our best, we're trying to do two things that don't work together. On, on one hand, we come to grieve, which is what one does. When, when we lose, we really lose. We, we lose a loved one. We lose someone who we deeply care about. That The response to love that has been broken is grief. And so we come to that service with grief. At the same time, as we acknowledge that, we stand facing death and say hope. We stand facing death and we say life. We say life eternal that this isn't the end. There's a there's a kind of stick it to the manness to Christian funerals which I think should inform our Christian life. In other words when we look at someone like Paul who's writing here about that day Christians don't need afraid of death. Now That does not take away that death takes something from us. Certainly when we lose someone or or when our loved ones lose us, there will be grief. On the other hand, that day is also a day of crowning. It's also a day of victory. These things live together. And it's the messy, complicated, sort of binary nature of that, that, that Christians live with both, that I've always appreciated, Clint. There's deep wisdom in our tradition that says that we don't deny what is, but we also don't allow that reality to define what God can do. And and together, these things make, I think, an entirely different picture than, than one of those left to the, their own devices.
0: There's a verse in which Paul writes he wants the church to be informed about those who have died so that they don't grieve as those who have no hope. And I'm I've always heard in that two things, Michael, that Paul gives us permission to grieve. There are Christians who think we shouldn't be sad when right. someone dies because of what they gain. But I, I think that doesn't acknowledge what we lose. I, I think sadness, of course, is a reflection to losing someone you love. However, our grief, our grief as Believers should be tempered with hope. It, it should be a recognition of the pain of loss and a celebration of the promise of gain simultaneously. And I, And I have always, not always, I have come to admire that about the funeral. In the Christian tradition, we do something that almost, I think the funeral in some ways is the most you the most unique and the most christian thing that we do and and let me let me unpack that what i mean is when we do a marriage there are other traditions that marry people there are other religions that marry people there are secular weddings and people celebrate love right i mean people are mm-hmm. they wish they do what we do we do it with a particular bent when we celebrate and give thanks the same is true but Only the Christian funeral says, we believe about this person that they are not gone, that this is not the end of our story. That's not true in other forms of grieving. That's not true for people that don't have a vantage point of Christian faith. They can join us in saying this person's gone, Mm. but they, they stop short of saying what we go on to say, which is, We trust that in Jesus Christ and the mercy of God, there is life on the other side of death, and that really is a uniquely Christian claim. And I think each funeral then asks us at some level, what do we really believe about these things? The, The funeral sort of puts us in very close proximity to those foundational and fundamental questions of our own faith, and and that doesn't make them easy. In fact, it makes them more difficult, but I do think it makes them profound, and I, I do think that the funeral, among all the things we do as Christians, I think the funeral is the one that, in my experience, most loudly asks, what do you really hold true about this life and the next life? And And I respect it for that.
1: I hope that there's encouragement in this. You know, the the truth is that it's it's natural to be human to come to the late stages of our race and to have lots of doubts and fears and anxieties and questions. Uh, wherever you are in your own life and your own faith, um, know that God is faithful to complete the work that that God has begun. and And the crown talked about here is not one that Paul has earned, but rather one that Paul has faithfully trusted. And uh, there's a great gift in that. Uh, So wherever you are, be encouraged this day, and uh, we look forward as you uh, join with us tomorrow as we continue on.
0: Thanks, everybody.